We had four or five languages when my children were three and five. They say, well, that was too much. They must have been overwhelmed. And I say, no, I mean, our children learn to walk, to eat and to talk. You wouldn't say sit down uh, when you talk because you cannot walk and talk at the same time. Welcome to The Big Blend, the podcast about merging cultures and transmission. For those of you who are listening for the first time, you can discover the whole story behind The Big Blend by listening to the first episode, The Prologue. Today's guest is Ute Limacher Ribold, a language expert and a multilingual mom herself. Before we start, let me tell you a little bit about Ute. Ute Limacher-Ribold grew up in Italy with German parents, so they spoke German and Italian at home. She then went to an international school, and there, throughout her childhood, she learned French, English, and Latin. Unsurprisingly, today she holds a PhD in philology, that's the branch of knowledge that deals with language. Yeah, I didn't know either. And is also a language consultant and intercultural communication trainer. We'll put it in the episode description, but she also co-wrote a book, Toolbox for Multilingual Families, and has an online course that helps parents raise children with multiple languages. So she's multilingual, raising three children with multiple languages, and she's a professional linguist. That's why I'm super excited to have her on The Big Blend, and I had so many questions for her. Hi, Ute. Hi, Muriel. <laughs> Ute, I'm going to start by asking you, what do you answer when you're asked Where do you come from? Yeah, that's a difficult question, I think, for everyone who grows up abroad or, or I think for everyone nowadays. Um, I would say maybe at this point, I would say I'm, I'm coming from the Netherlands because it's the place where I'm living currently. But if the person has time and asks a little bit for more, then I can say that uh, actually I don't have a Dutch name. So you notice that. And I would uh, add also that I'm German, but I never lived in Germany, that I grew up in Italy and I lived in different Uh, European countries and now I live in the Netherlands. If it's someone outside of Europe, I sometimes said, okay, I'm from Europe. So your parents are German and you grew up in Italy. At home you would speak German and outside of home you would speak Italian. Is there something that you would have changed uh, looking back now? Is there an advice that you would give your parents in the way that they educated you? Well, culturally and also with regards to the languages, I don't think so. I think they, they did a very good job. With regards to the culture, yes, I think I would have liked them to be a little bit more open culture-wise and to also understand that uh, whilst raising my sister and me abroad in Italy, uh, this didn't mean that we would be as German as they were but that we had a mix of cultures which uh, also included some cultures of our friends that we really liked and embraced and we embraced also the language. So I think their attempt to make us uh, grow up as Germans abroad somehow didn't really work out. And uh, especially when we grew up and we became adults or after our studies, they tried several times to make us come back to Germany. It was not easy for them to understand that I didn't have any any interest in going to Germany or living in Germany. And it was for me not enough to have family there to, to really live there. And so when you had kids, how did you set the strategy when it comes to the languages spoken at home? 
So that's a long story. <laughs> so the strategies that we set were actually very natural and very intuitive, I must say. When my son was born in Italy, I was working in an Italian environment and I was mainly speaking Italian. I barely spoke German at that time. And as we were actually planning to stay in Italy, I said, well, I would like to speak Italian with my son. And uh, I started. The first uh, sentence I, I told him was in Italian. And my husband was uh, speaking Swiss German with him. And together we were talking German. Three and a half years later, we moved to the Netherlands and my twin daughters were born. We still kept these languages as before. But my son started to not respond in Italian anymore. And when my daughters were about 15-ish months old, I still was talking Italian to my children because it was very dear to me. But they developed a secret language among twins, which is usually happening when twins are um, abandoned, <laughs> which was not the case of my <laughs> twins, I must say. I mean, we were really all the time around them and they were very chatty and we were very chatty. So I knew that it was maybe just a a question of time and they would just drop this secret language. But at some point after several months, my son and I were very frustrated because we couldn't understand what they were saying and they were more and more isolating themselves from the rest of the family. And so um, with my husband, my son and I, we sat down and we discussed whether it would be an option to speak German altogether. And my son was very happy and said, yeah, that's great. And so, I mean, he had a say and he was actually the person that uh, was most important for me in that situation. So we, we tried for a period of time, first two weeks, and then it we practically switched over to German as the family language. What I found very reassuring in this conversation that I've had with Uta is that a linguist is saying that you can test the language strategy with your kids, see how it's working, and if needed, you can change the strategy along the way and it's okay. But I must say that German was always one of the family languages, so it was not a completely new language for my son. He already understood it. He spoke it with our babysitter and with extended family. So it was not a completely new language for him. Uh, and it was not completely new either for my daughters. What I would also like to add is that we still maintain Swiss German and Italian. I don't know about you, but I'm a bit lost with all the languages. Let's recap. So the old strategy was as such. Ute speaks Italian to the kids. Her husband speaks Swiss German to the kids. And when they're all together, they speak German. The new strategy is German is the main family language. Ute speaks German, her husband speaks German, and when they're all together, they speak German. Italian and Swiss German are in the background and used at certain moments during certain activities. And the other languages like Dutch and English, that was more at school and less present in the home. It is just that uh, Swiss German and Italian, which before were in the foreground, they switched into the background and the German became the main language that we used all together. So our children were still exposed to Swiss German and to Italian, and they still are. But it was not the main, the primary language that we uh, were transmitting to them. It's been said that the most effective strategy to adopt is usually the one-parent, one-language strategy, OPOL. That's also the most popular one. Basically, one parent would speak a language exclusively to the kid, and the other parent would speak another language exclusively to the kid. But what Uta is saying is that it doesn't have to be so binary. 
especially if it isn't working, whether it's not working for the kid, the sibling, or the parent. It can take other forms. Let's dig into that. So when you say in the background, what do you mean? How, how are they exposed to those other languages? After the switch, I would always talk German with them. But we would have like uh, what I define like uh, multilingual islands. That's to say when we were playing or when we were listening to something, an audio book or to music, or when we were reading books, we would still do this in Italian and also Swiss German. Now, Swiss German is not a written language, so reading books was not an option. So for my husband, it was a little bit more difficult. But that uh, was then a bit helped by our extended family who visited more often. And we went to Switzerland uh, expressly for this to uh, support and to foster the Swiss German when we were there during the holidays. You talk about islands. So it's as if you are, you say, okay, we'll do this activity in this language. And then we move to dinner and we switch back to German. Is this what you're saying? Yes, exactly. And this is especially because, well, my son was uh, around five years old. So for him, it was very easy to understand that the situations were changing and he had a certain sense for time and for place. But my daughters were too young for that. So for them, it was very necessary to, to have uh, certain moments that they could recognize, okay, we are sitting in the living room and mommy taking out this book now she's speaking Italian or I let them decide which book uh, they wanted me to read or what game we wanted to do and I listened to them so they could choose the language if they chose German it was German I was not insisting and saying no I'm here now and we are doing it in Italian absolutely not so I let them choose what language they prefer speaking with us or fostering also for themselves what books they would pick and what songs they wanted to to sing or what movies later they wanted to watch And didn't they automatically choose German since it's the easiest for them? Or would they proactively also choose other languages sometimes? Oh, they also chose other languages because they went to a Dutch crash uh, daycare. So uh, it was also Dutch and it was also English when they started uh, school and preschool in English. So they had a variety of languages to choose from and we had um, a broad variety of books and resources. So it was really for them to pick the story that they wanted. For example, if there was uh, Heidi was maybe in German, but we had Pinocchio in Italian, they could choose the book and they knew exactly which book was written in what language. It's almost like a game. It's totally de-dramatized in the sense that, okay, it's just as you're choosing the game or the book you want to read, but you're choosing the language as well. Absolutely, yes. Okay, and what do you do when people criticize you saying that you're overwhelming your kids, like you're putting too much pressure on them or too many languages? Usually this uh, critique comes from people who maybe are not familiar with how it works. So my first uh, question actually is, I ask them what makes them say that and what they assume or what they fear. So usually I, I discover very, very interesting reasons for that, maybe because they really don't know how it works or because they fear that the child will not be able to separate the languages or that they will not become as fluent or proficient 
content in each of the languages. And then I can explain to them what the research says and what my experience is and what I see in my children. So usually it is a nice uh, discussion that we have. But there are also situations where then people are very strict and adamant about saying, no, this is just damaging your child. And then I, I say, okay, let's agree to disagree. So I pick my battles. So you said you answer with what science says and what are your convictions. Can you tell me in a nutshell, what are your convictions when it comes to teaching several languages? Well, teaching several languages, I must say, um, for very young children, it is acquiring languages, right? It's very natural because uh, the main impulse is the one to communicate with each other. And uh, the, the language is a means of communication. So you, you communicate in that way and you choose the language that is spoken to you. And we also have to take into account it's not only language, it's also gestures, it's body language and everything. And uh, sometimes when parents say, well, but these are too many, when I said, okay, we, we had four or five languages when my children were three and five, they say, well, that was too much. They must have been overwhelmed. And I say, no, I mean, our children learn to walk, to eat and to talk. You wouldn't say sit down uh, when you talk because you cannot walk and talk at the same time. <laughs> we can. And actually, our brains are wired to acquire multiple languages and multiple ways to communicate. So according to you, and also based on your expertise uh, on the subject, what are the main rules when you're transmitting several languages? What are the do's and don'ts? Um, the rules, well... I would say try to be as natural as possible because it's, as I said, it's a need of us that all of us have to communicate. And when it comes to multiple languages, if there is a need, if uh, Papa is uh, talking one language, Mama the other, then this is what the child needs to do. If, uh, on the other hand, I say, well, I'm multilingual, I speak six languages and I want to pass them all on to my child and I am the only person, then we need to be aware that this might be overwhelming for the child in terms of they cannot make sense out of this. So if I'm the only person transmitting three languages and I switch from one to the other without a meaning, without a need for the child, the child will just mix them, but mixing them in a not so productive and effective way. Because just think of it like if you if you give a child different Lego pieces and you say build them and you never ask them build a, a house with the yellow Lego pieces, they will never know that there is a color yellow. But we have to immerse them in different monolingual situations so that they can sort their pieces. And that is, I think, the do's and the don'ts. The rules, I think, they vary from family to family and from situation to situation, depending on what you can do and what uh, what you as a family, as a microcosmos, so to say, can do and what the child can do, how the child responds. There are children who respond very easily and they are very good at separating the languages, but uh, there are others who, who struggle with that. I have three children and all have responded in different ways to, to these languages. And that's fine. I mean, I find it very interesting and uh, amazing to observe. Another thing maybe that I would like to add here is, uh, especially for mon multilingual parents who at the beginning might struggle with deciding which language to pass on, pass on to their children, to really decide uh, for a language that they can express their emotions in, that they are really fluent and that they are spontaneous. Uh, because they need to pass on also the feeling for the language and that this is a bond that they will have uh, forever with their child. So please choose a language that you are very fluent in. You can then add another one that you are less 
less fluent in, but for the main or primary language, it should always be one that you're really fluent and, and spontaneous, where you don't have to look up words in a dictionary or, or something like that. So, What if your partner doesn't understand your language? How to handle that to not create a real gap between you and your child and your partner? So it would be nice if the partner could at least understand the basics of my language or uh, maybe say a few things in the language like good morning, good evening, um, uh, how are you or even I love you or little sentences, little expressions. Because when we raise our children with multiple languages also at home, they sense it when we are not accepting or not understanding our partner's language. We can understand maybe also only the gestures and the body language and make out, okay, they are now agreeing with what I'm saying. That's good. So that is also communication. So I think many parents uh, put themselves under a lot of pressure or, or give up way too early <laughs> to learn a little bit from the partner's language. And I'm totally aware that some languages are much more difficult to learn than others, depending on what is our dominant language or what languages we already know. But by learning a little bit of the partner's language, we also send a message to our children that we accept the other language, that there is no hierarchy, there is no better or worse. And this is a very important thing to pass this on to the, to our children, that at home, at least in our macro society, there is no hierarchy among the, the languages and that all are valuable and uh, important for our family. Okay, so even understanding the few key sentences is enough. Sometimes it's enough. Yes, it depends on the on the single person. Sometimes you you want also to improve the language at some point. And I always say, well, if you, it's not that the child grows up uh, very very quickly. You have time, so you can start with uh, monosyllables in the other language, and you can listen to what your partner is singing to the child. Maybe you you learn a song or a nursery rhyme, even if you. You don't know the words yet or you don't understand the words yet but this uh, connects you to the other language to your partner as well and uh, to to the family culture that you have which is tinted with the different languages and the different cultures We hear a lot people saying that I was speaking that language to my baby since the baby was in the womb. But some parents just want to do it a bit later or think about it a bit later. Is it ever too late to start? Well, it, sh it should be never too late to start. You would do it differently depending on the age of the child. So if you expose your child to your language and then an additional language because it's the community language or because uh, the babysitter is speaking that language or your partner is speaking that language, the child is exposed to it from day one or from very early on. And they pick it up much easier. Yes. But this doesn't mean that after a certain age, the child is not able anymore to, to learn a language to a very high level of proficiency. When a child already has acquired two or three languages at age four or five, let's say, and then they go to school and they add another language, that is 
perfectly possible. And you can also decide to add another language, maybe because you are moving to another place. The most important thing to consider is really that there is a need for the child to learn that language and also to be very clear of what our own goals are with this language. If I want my child to have just a little bit of knowledge of the language and say hello, goodbye, thank you, then we will not dedicate that much time to it. But if we want our child to uh, become academically so to say, to also at some point read and write that language, then we have to invest much more time and to have a certain, I always say, a certain plan to get there. We talk a lot about the advantages of being multilingual, being able to communicate with many people, uh, having your brain wired in a way that actually sees things in different ways. Um, there's a lot of science that says that it's great to be multilingual. Is there a downside to being multilingual? Mm, I should say no, but I know also that there is a downside. And the downside is that people who are not multilingual or who don't understand how it is to, to be multilingual, to juggle multiple languages and to feel really at ease in all these languages, if they want to put us in one box, in one category, and they want to say, well, you're German, but you don't really sound that German, or how come if you're German, you don't understand what we are saying? Yeah, this kind of feeling, this is the downside. So when you feel not enough, you you feel not adequate, you feel like you, you don't laugh at the same point of a joke or you don't understand that part of a movie where the rest of the people in the in the cinema are, are laughing and you just don't get it. So that is actually where there is a downside maybe, but I must say it's not really a downside. It's It, it comes with a package. It's part of being multilingual to not be perfect in, in all of your languages. It's a combination. We are not multiple monolinguals in one, but we are a mix of them. So we are multi-competent multilinguals and, and we should embrace that. When they say you're neither nor... We should switch to the other way or the other perspective and say, no, I'm not neither nor. I'm not only, but also. I'm not only German, I'm also Italian. And then I'm a bit French and a bit of, of Dutch. And then you overwhelm everyone. But that's that's not your problem. <laughs> Basically, it's uh, feeling judged because you don't speak 100% of the language, but you speak maybe 90, 80% of more languages. Yes, but in the end, if you are really very precise, no one speaks 100% of any language because we are constantly, language is constantly changing. You you would have to interiorize all the vocabularies and, and dictionaries and then you would be a machine practically. But still, you would need to be fed every day with new words and new sentences and new slang and everything. So we can never be 100% fluent in a language. And this needs to be acknowledged and, and actually accepted. You talked about body language. Let's talk a little bit about this uh, and personality language, because often someone who speaks more than one language says, I feel like my personality changes when I switch languages. Is it true? Do we, do we have different personalities in different languages? Using the term of personalities when it comes to multiple languages, it's always a, a little bit difficult because I think 
with this term, we associate different things. I personally associate with schizophrenia. So I immediately think about schizophrenia. Maybe someone else says, no, it's just the way I express myself, how I, I gesticulate or don't gesticulate or how I uh, talk about the day in one language in a slightly different way than if I uh, talk about it in the other. So if it is in my kind of uh, understanding, we are not switching personalities. We, we still have the same personality, but through the different languages that we have, we can express it with uh, multiple facets. Uh, think about um, the colors, for example. If you want to describe the sky and you, you would say azzurro in Italian or um, hellblau in, in German, it's not exactly the same, yeah? But you would express it with the words that you have and maybe you want to express it in Italian because you think it's really that kind of uh, facet or that kind of color that I want to describe and you choose to explain it in Italian. When Uto was talking, I was thinking of a disco ball. And honestly, I thought it was such a better way to define this feeling, being a disco ball and showing different facets with every language we speak versus having different personalities and feeling like an imposter. And in this way, what we do when we use languages in different uh, settings and we gesticulate more in one language, we gesticulate less in the other one, we have different intonations, we accentuate in different ways. And also the, the thoughts that we, we express are slightly different. But this doesn't mean that we are another person. We just use another code to express it. And the code is a language. And so if I want to express certain things uh, that come much more easy for me in that blue language, then I use the blue language. It seems like what you're saying is that the more you have languages, the more you have words that can describe in a more precise way what you're feeling or what you're seeing. Yes, I think so. You have a broader repertoire of words. In the past few weeks, I got messages from parents who are worried about the fact that their kids sometimes use two languages in the same sentence. So I wanted to ask a linguist if this was a good or a bad thing. You talked about Lego bricks of different colors being the different languages. When kids grow up, and even as adults, when you have different languages and different colors of Lego bricks, sometimes you create a tower or a house with different colors. When you build a house with different uh, colors, and if you say that the Lego bricks in different colors, each color is for another language, then yes, you, you focus on what is essential. So you focus on the message. When you ask a child or a person who has multiple languages and you give them the repertoire of all their languages, let's say the Lego pieces in all the different colors and shapes, then they will construct, they will build this house with different colors, just that it has windows and, and doors and, and a roof and everything that is needed for a house. Of course, you can also ask the person to only <laughs> build a yellow house, like I said before, so it would be a monolingual kind of conversation that you have. But if you are in a setting where everyone who is around you speaks also the other languages that you speak, then you can switch from one language to the other without uh, thinking too much. And it comes very naturally because the, the languages that we use on a regular basis are in the foreground and we can switch from one to the other and just fill the gap if uh, some word doesn't come to mind quickly enough to, to fill the gap and to let the communication flow. So as long as you reach your purpose, there's no problem. I mean, I'm asking because should parents be worried when kids start mixing languages in the same sentence? 
I always say no, because we do it. And especially as long as the child uh, makes him or herself understood through the sentence, that's to say, if the words uh, follow an order of one of the languages that the child is speaking or uh, knows, then I wouldn't worry. Just to make an example, my, my daughter learned English when she was uh, three years old. And when she was four or five, uh, they told us at school, she's making something very strange because we don't really understand her. And then I sat down and, and we wrote down the different sentences that she was saying. And I said, well, she's actually forming her English sentences based on the German sentence structure. And so I said, well, what we need to do is give her enough input in the different languages and make her aware and just model how it should be, maybe doing shorter sentences and then work from there. And then it actually, she she found it out by herself and, and it's perfect now. But uh, this said, I think it's it's really a matter of time and a matter of habit to to get there. Yeah, it's machine learning. Basically, you see enough examples, you understand that the structure is different in different languages. Absolutely. And if you look at how the children mix the languages, they always make sense. There's always something that, that you can learn, actually, if you if you look a little bit closer. Ah, you don't know this word in our language, so I have to repeat it maybe more often or we have to read a book about this. So this word that seems not to be in your active vocabulary is still in the receptive vocabulary. So we need to repeat it more often so that you can uh, use it. A big part of culture is transmitted through language. Your kids haven't lived in Italy, but they speak Italian or understand it. Do you consider that they have the Italian culture? Do we consider that when we're multilingual, we're automatically multicultural? No, we're not automatically multicultural. With language, culture doesn't come naturally, especially if we learn this language in another country. If I speak English, I do not feel um, British or, or anything else. I feel like uh, the, the person who learned English for reasons to be able to communicate in international settings and in certain circumstances. And uh, it's the language that my children are schooled in. And so we also communicate in that language for, for purposes just to understand each other and to express our thoughts in, in certain settings. So for me, not all the languages that I know connect me with the culture, but those that I have studied more in depth and where I have also read a lot of literature and where I have visited the countries more often and I have really a stronger bond with, I think there I am also multicultural with this regards, but not with all the languages. No. It takes much more than a language to really have a culture. There are so many references, codes, um, Absolutely. literature history. Yes. Based on your expertise, experience and all of the people you've met throughout your career, do you think that the world is becoming more multilingual or is the contrary happening? Well, I think the world always was multilingual. <laughs> we, <laughs> I, I mean, are people becoming more multilingual? Again, I think they were, no, seriously, I, I was thinking about this uh, a while ago. And I think thanks to the internet and to, to the world being much more open and visible and, and hearable by everyone, we realize that we are much more multilingual and multicultural than we thought. I actually researched it. And today, 43% of the world population is at least bilingual. That's almost half. Let's just say 20 years ago, you, you wouldn't have had this access to, to so many different resources that we have now. Uh, the world is getting more aware of how multilingual 
the world can be and is actually, because it's not an invention of this era. People have been multilingual and multicultural for a long time, and they have uh, traveled and lived in different places. But I think the more we go ahead and the more we, we observe what is happening around the world, it would be beneficial to be even more multilingual. I always end the podcast with this question. What is the smell of home to you? It's a nice question. Yeah, the smell of home for me is um, the smell of uh, freshly baked bread or a focaccia. I like focaccia. And then with a mix of lavender somehow, but it can also be tomato sauce or, or the smell of a pasticceria. An Italian pasticceria. That would be nice. So you see, I, I have difficulties of choosing one. But it's Italian. Yes, I think it's uh, it's it's very much Italian. But well, the bread can also be German or. But anyways, it's a uh, it's a mixture of them, and depending also on my mood or on on the day, the one or the other. <laughs> yes. Perfect. Thank you so much, Uta. I love the fact that uh, language is de-dramatized in the sense that it's not a duty to pass down and to and to do it in a very strict way, but rather it's just natural and it's a richness that should be embraced and done in a very fluid way. Thank you for that. Thank you for, for having me today. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Big Blend. If you like what we do, talk about us to your multicultural friends. You can also give us five stars on your podcast app. And if you want to get a glimpse into the newest episodes every month, follow us on Instagram and subscribe to our newsletter on the website, thebigblend.co. Cheers and see you soon.